Hey everyone, Kendall here. I just want to give a quick content warning for this week's episode. Um, if you can't tell by the title, pro-ana means pro-anorexia. Um, we are going to be talking about eating disorders. We are going to be talking about online communities that participate in eating disorders as a form of self-harm. So if you are sensitive to that, we totally understand. Please listen with caution. Pause, take breaks if you need to. Skip this episode altogether if you feel like you can't handle it. You know, we go into this in the episode, but as two people who have both also had eating disorders, we totally understand how this kind of content can trigger um, a lot of deep feelings and possibly even trigger relapses. So we just want to take that very, very seriously and just let you know that we understand, we support you, and just please take care of yourself. All right. I'm really proud of this week's episode. I hope you guys um, are really excited for this one. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic. I have a problem. I look like Jared Padalecki. I got them supernatural. So my value right now is zero. If you think about it, AI is actually the fastest path to communism. Enforced farming is really not a vibe. Well, I did a little something to myself that caused me deep personal anguish. I looked mm -hmm. into the abyss, which is my own Twitter history, and the abyss oh. looked straight back at me. Oh. What I did was I searched my own username and the word kawaii <sighs> oh. to, see, to see what would come up. And oh, no. I'm, I'm sad to admit that um, not, not anything good. So many tweets from me saying, I'm the number one kawaii bitch in this high school. <laughs> and I'm so kawaii and I'm not sorry. <laughs> I think I think only because kawaii was like a popular like weeb phrase at the time. Do you get a pass? If you said like sugoi along alongside of that, I was never I think that that's bad. The point. I yeah. was never that bad. I was totally, like, um, editing my pictures to have cat ears on it, ironically, but, like, I was still doing it, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that the whole kawaii thing was, like, quasi-ironic, but I, you know, the amount of times I was using that word... Here's the first one. I am so goddamn kawaii, and that's why everyone hates me. They're <laughs> jealous of how kawaii I am. The next is the good die young, but the kawaii live forever. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at you because I am so sure that if I searched RAR, like <laughs> R-A-W-R on my, like I don't, I haven't had my Twitter page for that long, but if I search that on like, my old Facebook account or something, that probably would come up. That probably would come up many times. I know everything about being kawaii. Hashtag bitch. <laughs> bitch. 
Hashtag that's, what I, that's what I was doing <laughs> in the 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 early. What is, well, it wouldn't be the what is the twenty tens called? Are they just called the twenty tens? Early aughts. Early aughts, I, I think, is supposed to be like two thousand to like two thousand five. Yeah. Um, I think. Would you consider a hashtag like the online version of like an Oxford comma? <laughs> is um, that what you were doing there with hashtag bitch? I think that I used to use it for emphasis and I think I was also using it in like a ironic sort of like detached way like haha like look I'm using a hashtag. I um, found a tweet of mine from 2013 that's just a collection of hashtags that really it, it has me puzzled because it's hashtag homeschool, hashtag Amish, hashtag <laughs> Vogue. Hashtag boyfriend, hashtag share, hashtag follow back, hashtag pro Anna. Like how how surrealist of you? How, I, like- yeah, no, I think that at that time I must have been thinking, oh, this is like a really funny joke that <laughs> only I am smart enough to understand. And the post irony so long, of using absurdist hashtags to describe right. something that isn't related. Yeah, hashtag I'm Amish, rich. hashtag follow back, it's hashtag very, it's very, pro Anna. It's very avant-garde. You're like, it's, it's very classic 2010s uh, of like, I'm rejecting social media while being on social media. Like I'm, I'm rejecting making- cat ears and I'm using cat ears. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was super like too cool to care, which mm-hmm. um, is something that I've grown out of. And now I'm so cool that I care so much um (laughs) i care way too much i think i think at a certain point i'm trying to get to this point by the way welcome to big soy naturals welcome to big soy naturals (laughs) welcome welcome. me and kendall are having a conversation and it's very rude to be intruding yeah i think i went from edgelord to like emotion lord and i think that that was a that was a positive um growth for me i think i'm trying to get to a point where i'm like trying to actively observe whether or not I'm like in like I care about something like especially when it comes to like nostalgia shit about like the early 2010s and stuff like that I'm trying to get to a point where I love like because I used to like really be really mean to my younger self but I'm at the point now where I think I'm, I'm getting a little too protective of my younger self when like young people younger than us like, I guess you could call them Gen Z, although we reject generational discourse here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're transgenerational. If we're trans- you remember, <laughs> longtime listeners of Big Sway Naturals will remember that Kendall and I both identify as members of Gen X. We are <laughs> sticking it to the man. We will never sell out. We are friends with Jack Black. We work at yes. a record store. Um, mm-hmm. I work at the video rental store, personally. Mm-hmm. Our parents and you work are baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sh- I'm getting so protective of it because, like, young people are starting to get to the point where they're like, I wish I could be, like, a teenager in, like, 2011 and, like, listen <laughs> to, like, video games by Lana Del Rey for the first time. And, no. like, part of me wants to be, like, like I, there's, a, there's a compulsion I think I have to be, like, you do not want to be there. Like, trust me, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be doing that. Um, but at another point, I'm like, I need to just like let go of that initial instinct because I feel like it 
can create like just a real divide um, when there should just be like a sense of unity between me and my younger counterpart. I don't want to become the kind of person that thinks like the Gen Z is so ignorant and blah, 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 or be the kind of person that thinks Gen Z is going to save us all. You know, I want to stick to the middle ground. And in sticking to the middle ground, I want to say that there's one critique I have, and that's Depop sell, Gen Z Depop sellers. You are, you, you're not fully encapsulating Y2K clothing the way I want you to. I want a resurgence of Domokun merch. I want the newsboy paper, the paperboy cap to come back. The pinstripe vest, if you will. You, you got the low-rise jean. Like but Pete, I feel Pete like, Wentz? Pete Wentz core? Yeah. Yeah, I want that Pete Wentz core, the like the con the, the converse with Sharpie written all over them. That'll the, be soon, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think right that's now soon. we're we're in like butterfly hair clip mm-hmm. um era, which is like 2004. 2004. Yeah. And then we're gonna have to move into like tie as a like belt necklace <laughs> tie as a belt tie as a necklace i will admit to wearing a tie as a headband during that time didn't um, we all it was your blair waldorf era at that point yeah i really thought i was on to something um and yeah i think i think we'll move into that soon enough i don't know yeah i feel like i i was a little bit confused when i saw people like performing nostalgia for 2014 and I feel really bad that young people right now have that era as the one that they need to be nostalgic for. But it's like pretty normal, I feel, to like reach into the past 10 years and be like, oh, things were simpler then because that's when you were a child. So it seems mm-hmm. simpler. And I don't know how to break the news to all of them that like we were fucking depressed in 2014. <laughs> We the recession was still happening. Lana Del Rey on a near daily basis because we were unhappy with ourselves and our lives. That's, that's not the music of happy people. That's the reason that you like her now is because you're <laughs> unhappy. And it, you wouldn't be any happier if you were sitting in the year 2014 listening to video games, um, sharing a single headphone from your wired headphones off your iPod Classic. <laughs> Maybe you had an the iPod classic. Touch. Maybe you had an iPod Touch. If you were rich. Um, if you were rich. But <laughs> it was not a happy era. I was totally performing nostalgia for like the 90s when I was that mm-hmm. age, which makes sense. Because um, that was when I was a little baby. And so I was mm-hmm. like, oh, things were so much easier. And I'm still doing that now when I say that I'm transgenerational. And I want mm-hmm. to be in Gen X and hang out with Jack Black and all the characters from High Fidelity and Empire Records. So, like, it's fine. I wish that they had a less cringe time to be reaching mm-hmm. back for, but that's yeah. I mean, our the fault. I heart boobies. That's our fault, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, why did we go around wearing the I Heart Boobies rubber bracelet? We we wore a lot of rubber bla- bracelets, actually. Yeah, like a lot I wasn't. Of them. I wasn't an I Heart Boobies person because I wasn't um, crass, um, but I was a silly bands person for a moment, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm sure that if those aren't back now, they will be. And I, yeah, I think 
I just have to feel bad because we should have known that it was going to come, that in 10 years people were going to be like, oh, I wish that I lived in the year 2013. And we should have been thinking about that in 2013 before we bought our galaxy print Doc Martens. But it happened, it's done, and they're going to buy them back from us on eBay. Y2K flower crown. Yeah. Y2K flower crown from Forever 21. The flower crown will be making a revisit. I was fine with the flower crown. I liked them. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm okay with them coming back. I was I was wearing flower crowns. I'll admit it. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, they're they're really. I think they're going to come back only because cottagecore is still like very much like in on vogue. You know, I feel like it's going yeah. to sort of teeter back down into the well, flower crown era. And they're all listening era. to Lana, who was like the flower crown mm-hmm. queen. So it's gotta come queen, back. Yeah. Oh man. I at the time, it was just as, not I, as I, a if fantastic you know, era for fashion. The mu- the mullet skirt. It was the not. mullet skirt was um, unfortunate, yeah, and that's a that very was, that was my prom dress. Stop. Not even kidding. Stop. Yes, I got it. I I got my prom dress from Urban Outfitters because I come was on. different. And it, the thing is, is that it, it's a very cute color. It was like a nice light purple and the rest of it looked fine. It was like a nice looking dress, but then it had the mullet skirt. What business Absolutely do you have low. as a person of 5'2 experience wearing a mullet skirt? I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I guess, it, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking this looks like I'm performing femininity enough. This, this is what no. I'm supposed to be wearing, right? <laughs> Um, and no. it just it just proved even further that I was doing drag. Like I was doing very piss poor, like baby drag <laughs> of like what a high school girl was supposed to look like. Yeah, the that's how it felt every single time. Was super post recession fashion, and this is maybe like a good segue to the actual topic of today's episode because, as you will learn beauty standards and fashion trends are very tied to like economic cycles and um those who know things such as myself and Kendall and not you will know (laughs) that hemlines get shorter and longer when the economy is doing well or poorly so that's why in the early 2000s we saw the emergence of the micro mini because Mm -hmm. everyone was like fuck the economy so good like I need to have my whole pussy out I need everyone to see it so that they know that my stock portfolio is doing fantastic and then pussy spelled with two dollar signs like that absolutely absolutely (laughs) and then when the recession happened in 2008 that was when we saw the long skirts make a comeback um Mm -hmm. and then people were like oh but I'm feeling kind of hopeful this Obama guy like he said that things are gonna happen like my bank account's not looking great, but I'm feeling pretty good. And so they took that confusion and they made a skirt. And that mm-hmm. is how we got the mullet skirt, the mullet dress shape, the high-low hemline. And once again, we can really lay this all at the feet of Barack the Rock, Hussein Obama. It's his fault. 
if he had given us a fucking stimulus check in 2008 instead of bailing out the banks, we would not have gotten the high-low skirt. And then Kendall wouldn't have had to wear an ugly purple dress to prom. Obama, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, let me be clear. I'm not going to do a real impression because I can't. Yeah, and I would... Um, call you racist for doing it. I don't yeah. think it would be racist to do one, but I, I would call you racist for doing uh, it. Let me it's be also clear. kind of racist for us to make Obama like responsible for your shortcomings as a, <laughs> as white, a white person. <laughs> but I think that I dislike Obama so much that it, it actually comes back around to being okay. So um Welcome to Big Soy Naturals. That was the dialectic that I was just doing right now. Dialectic is when you have two ideas and they're confusing, but the vibes are good. I'm Cerise. <laughs> I'm Kendall. Welcome. Um, yeah. Glad to have you here. Or not. I mean, I don't really know you, so you could yeah, be I like... I don't care. Yeah. I could, I'm here like, to hang out really with Kendall. Vibe. Yeah. I'm here to hang out with Kendall. <laughs> I don't know who you are. So um, what are we talking about today? Uh, the, the title of this episode, as you will know from being able to read, is Stop the Resurgence of Pro-Anna Propaganda Right Now or Else Low-Rise Jeans Will Become Popular Again and You Will Have No One But Yourself to Blame. And that, dear listeners, dear pay pigs, is so true. I cannot stress how much I do not want to see low-rise jeans come back. They they keep threatening. Like, there are tons of articles, like, Refinery29 keeps releasing article after article, are low-rise jeans making a comeback? And they, they, they just haven't followed through with that promise yet, but, they're, but they're, they're marching on the horizon, and I'm very, very scared. It's I not a question. I love my To me, it's a, it's a threat. Yeah. It's it's just a threat. Um, thinly veiled as a question in order to avoid litigation by mm-hmm. me. Um, and on that I'm note, very upset. The internet of the early 2000s mm-hmm. was plagued was plagued with images of too many celebrities in their little low-rise jeans. We had Nicole Richie, the Olsen twins, Kate Moss, Although she she was more of like a '90s girl, but she was around in the 2000s, being thin for no reason. You couldn't scroll scroll through Tumblr, MySpace, Zanga for those of you in the know, without hitting the quote "Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels" attributed to none other than Miss Catherine Moss, um, at least once, without being subjected to like strangers, current weights and goal weights, and like you had to learn the term thinspo. And seeing all these little posts that were like, oh, collarbones are so cute and I love rib cages. Like that was just like a constant part of the experience of being online. Let us not fail to mention the dreaded thigh gap. Oh, yeah. The thigh gap. The fucking thigh gap was all over the place. And that was just like you really could not avoid any of it if you were an online person in the early to like mid 2000s and like we were saying like everything old becomes new again people want to be back in the year 2014 
trend cycles also within our current stage of like capitalism are so fucking condensed that like I feel like this should not have come back for at least another like six or so years if you follow the whole like things come back in style every 20 years but it's already back because um like the insanely quick reproduction cycles of fast fashion and like the immediate accessibility to everything that the internet has given us has just like put this already in full swing. Um, so Kate Moss is gone. Don't know where she is now, but she's been replaced with Lily Rose Depp. Uh, mm-hmm. only, God, only God knows why. Um, and this time, like the diet and self-harm advice has been like coming in the form of text laid over images of thin white celebrities, which is perfectly formulated for Instagram. And just like in the early 2000s, when caring about anything was like absolutely going to be lampooned on South Park the next week, apathy is back in for a lot of people in the West. The moment of hope that they had that was crystallized in like voting for Bernie or the Black Lives Matter movement or a pipeline protest, it's been squashed. And so like cowards, they have retreated into thinking that being passionate about anything at all is cringe because they can't handle the pain of losing. For those of us who read, we know that progress isn't linear and that you're never gonna win anything for real if you can only hold on to moments um, of hope when you're winning. But of course, none of you read and that's why we have this podcast. Um, so I mean, that's, like, that's the point of this episode, you know, in the words something... of the late, great Nicki Minaj, may she rest in peace. <laughs> Fuck the skinny bitches in the club. Yeah, I mean, I think something that you and I really get into, um, like a, a really core part of our moral philosophy that I think we both um, – hold very deeply is that hope is a practice. It isn't just a feeling. It's something that you need to um, be constantly like upkeeping in yourself and in the people around you. It's not something that just comes from like one specific moment that you see. Um, It doesn't come from those heartwarming, this uh, homeless man mowed a lawn for four years and eventually had enough money to buy a bike. Like those, those moments won't give you um, the lasting uh, amount of energy <laughs> that you need in order to uh, make any progress happen. You can lose and lose and lose, but um, as long as you keep the practice of hope within your mind, uh, you will eventually come to at least some wins. Um, yeah, there's a fantastic like um, essay by Miriam Kaba that's like a transcript of a podcast that she did called Hope is a Discipline. And I feel like it's a really important thing to keep in mind as we talk about the way that like apathy can be used to harm yourself and other people because you really can't just be relying on like short-term wins as a way to sustain yourself um, and having hope for the future. Because even if somehow Bernard Sandals like became president, there would still have been losses built into that because the office of the president of the United States is like inherently an anti-revolutionary one. And Mm -hmm. so if like 
you are so easily discouraged by a moment that you believe in failing, then we're never going to have any long-term success as communists, which all of you, of course, are. And if you aren't, shut up. Yeah, I mean, I would also recommend, you know, not to like recommend a Rebecca Solnit book, but to recommend a Rebecca Solnit book. I think Hope in the Dark is a really um, fun foundational text to the idea of hope as a practice. You know, she wrote it right after, I think, the first election of W. Bush um, and write, wrote it a lot about like different movements, um, activist movements throughout history and how um, these like moments where they have, you know, faltered and then kept going and how that perseverance um, is not something that, you know, is just in, an inherent part of your being, but something that you uh, foster and grow. And I think that that's a really important uh, thing to keep in mind, especially when you're like inundated on the internet now with like all these images of like, you know, doomer culture and like the idea that like we can do nothing for our planet or for our society. Um, if you're, if you're listening to other podcasters that aren't us who don't read. Don't do that. um, (laughs) Don't do it. Only listen to us and our friends that we recommend and literally Mm -hmm. no one else. Yeah. Stay in our bubble. The other bubbles suck, but our bubble is pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's very easy to fall into apathy. Um, And I understand why it happens. I was there once upon a time. But I'm not now because I'm um, smart. And I feel like that that is the reason why I wanted to cover this topic because it's been all fucking over the internet. I feel like it's been an explosion in the past, I don't know, like six or so months of just this like waif spo, like Lily Rose Depp. Mm-hmm. Black coffee, cigarette, cherry emoji, aesthetic posts. It's all over Twitter. It's all over Instagram. Like TikTok has its own version of it in like these like aesthetic videos. And it's all kind of like drenched in this layer of slimy irony. But I feel like at least as someone who lived through this moment before and as someone with a brain, a dick and a heart, I can see this moment for what it is, which is like thin spot is back, um, like pro Anna propaganda, um, this like hyper thin ideal is on the rise. Um, for people that don't know, I can't imagine anyone who's like had internet access in the past five years wouldn't know, but pro Anna stands for pro anorexic and it's like shorthand mm-hmm. that people who are like in the throes of their eating disorders or who want to give themselves one, um, use to share their content um, with Mm -hmm. other people that are also that way. Yeah, it's a niche community of people who uh, spend a lot. And, you know, we've both observed this community before. Uh, I don't think either of us were in it, but we both did. Oh, um, I was in it. Oh, you were in it. Yeah. Like upfront and honest right now, like I had a pretty serious eating disorder for quite a long time it was not coming really from a place of wanting to be hyper thin so i'm not 
totally like relating to what is happening now. Yeah. Um, but I made use of like the community online to validate um, the behaviors that I was engaging in as like a form of self harm. And so I would use it as like inspiration to keep myself in a mental state that I totally on some level knew was like bad for me. Um, and then would like retreat into these spaces online in order to tell myself that actually I was better than everyone else. Um, and I was doing a really cool thing for myself by mm-hmm. like hurting my own body. See, that's so interesting. Cause I come from a completely opposite perspective of, I st- I did struggle with an eating disorder, but mine was very isolated to like my, like my, like to the self, I kept it very like logged off. Um, And part of my eating disorder just had to do with like medical negligence um, on the part of like my, you know, my own like guardians, not really paying attention to the medicines that I was taking and how it like affected like and exacerbated like my own feelings about my body already. Um, So like, to me, like I, I only observed pro Anna post um, recovery, and because I had known a couple people in support groups who um, were telling me about it, and so, and I'm the kind of person that likes to um, look into something very upsetting in order to understand it, and then be like, well, that was really traumatizing, and then move on with my fucking day because I just need to understand why something is the way it is so so bad yeah is that neurodivergent probably but I I think it is it is neurodivergent of you and I'm not sure if it's valid you should probably stay far away from looking at pro Anna stuff and we'll get into why later and I think that this is a good disclaimer that like when we're talking about this we are talking about like developing or spreading like propaganda around restrictive eating disorders specifically for the purpose of being thin, but people can like come into them for a variety of reasons that like are unrelated to wanting to be a thin person, even if it is a restrictive eating disorder. And we're not talking about any of that. We're only talking about like this specific kind of pro and propaganda that like you will typically see images of now of like Lily Rose Depp for whatever reason, other like thin, typically white, uh, typically blonde celebrities. um, And then like some kind of inspirational message about like, oh, if you don't eat today, then you can, you can look like Johnny Depp's daughter um, or something like that. And people who you are like can have a have a failed nepotism <laughs> career. Yeah. Wow. So people who are either in their own like restrictive eating disorders, using that as motivation to stay within it, or people who are trying to give themselves one because they look up to people like that as a beauty ideal. And actually, that's like a great segue for the next thing because like for any of this to make sense we kind of need to talk about beauty trends first and where they come from. So. Oh, wait, before we do that, can I just take a quick moment to just say like with pro Anna, I, and, and like both of us being like 
like for Cerise, a participant, and for me, an observer, we're not just saying that to like let you know, like we are some kind of authority on this issue, although we are, we're geniuses as always. But um, also that like to make it clear that we have like a, a strong sense of empathy, but our empathy ends um, to the point where these people start becoming absolutely 100% just nihilist assholes. Like <laughs> when it starts to become belligerent and like um, specifically like externally attacking other people, um, that is where my empathy kind of reaches a point where I become a little more uh, perturbed, I guess would be the term. Like yeah. I completely understand these people from the terms of like, I really hope that one day they get better, they seek help, they find a community that wants to help them rather than hurt them. Um, and one that isn't like within these cycles of self-harm, you know, like a lot of people have made the connection between like incel groups and pro-Anna and how they have overlap in terms of this like cyclical self-harm that they participate in. And it's really sad, but um, there's a certain amount where like your empathy kind of dies once they start being truly terrible to other people. Um, and that's kind of where my empathy ends. Yeah, I can like forgive myself for what I was doing back then, but it's definitely a thing I needed to ask forgiveness for because when you're participating in these communities in a way where you're like spreading the images and repeating the like terminology and internalizing it and then projecting it onto other people, you are causing other people to be in a place where they feel bad about themselves and they want to do harm for themselves. And that's just like simply not okay. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad for anyone who's in a space where they have like a restrictive eating disorder. And I feel bad for anyone that's like in a space that has one and is in these pro anna communities. But also like, especially the adults, mm. you need to find a different coping mechanism than posting pictures of L fanning on your Instagram account. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. Like, anyway, you have beauty trends, <laughs> beauty cycles. What's considered beautiful, as we all know, it changes in cycles, uh, like, all the time. And this, like, standard of beauty comes from uh, what is unique and unattainable for the average person, at least in cultures like ours with extreme wealth disparities, because then part of being beautiful is a way of showing off what you have and others don't. So that, like those traits and styles are gonna stay popular until eventually they become attainable to regular people, at which point like then those things will become tacky or out of fashion, basic, whatever, the rich, We'll move on to something else. Um, so when we look at like historically popular standards of beauty within Western culture, it's pretty easy to see that the cycles have become like much shorter than they used to be. So just in the past century, um, like the entire 1900s, fashion cycles were labeled by decade. Like when you say 90s fashion or 70s fashion, like 
there's a pretty coherent and specific picture that comes to mind. And while those trends might have evolved during that decade, like it's a natural progression from one place to another. And it happens within like a space of 10 years. If you go a little bit further back and look at like the Regency era, for example, where everyone was wearing like column inspired dresses and loose clothing and cotton and muslin and stuff that lasted like 25 years from 1795 to 1820. Then you go a little bit further back and the Rococo period, which was like an extension of the Baroque period anyway, that lasted for like 20 years um, from 1720 to 1760. And so if you were to continue going back, you would see that the cycles get longer and longer the further back you go, Um, which makes sense because if like fashion and beauty trends are tied to what is unattainable, then the speed of the reproduction process, which depends on like the limits of technology and the availability of labor is going to determine how quickly something can be attained. So even the very wealthy would have to wear the same clothes for at least a decade in like the 1700s and they would have it mended for them when it fell apart because their clothes had to be custom made for them. And then the less wealthy would still have to like pick out their own fabric and take it to a seamstress, but maybe have a simpler version of that style made for them. And then the working class or poor would get their cast offs or have to save for like one item for every 10 of something that a person with wealth would have. So of course, like fashion and beauty was moving at a much, much slower pace because if even the ruling class had to wait weeks for their clothes to arrive, they still had a few years before the next class could like properly emulate them. And honestly, like decades before the poor were getting cast offs that resembled anything like it. There's a reason a lot of um, like early paintings and early photography that if rarely uh, portrayed like a working class family, their fashion was usually in those photos and in those uh, paintings portrayed as a couple years behind. And that's because they were quite literally modeling in clothes that were a couple years behind that were cast offs from uh, the ruling class from a couple years ago, um, or that they were had already saved up to buy um, years ago and were just wearing until it wore out. Um, like, whereas like any ruling class portrait, it was always like up to date on time, like, they were posing for these photos for like, and these um, paintings for like two to three hours in clothing that was always on trend for the exact year that it was made. Yeah. And even still, like that would take weeks or months mm-hmm. to be made for them. So like just the, the speed of reproduction naturally determined that the cycle of beauty would last a little bit longer. Um, and so You know, dear listeners, we read here, um, Walter Benjamin, he's a guy, he wrote a little essay, you might have heard of it, it's called um, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, and generally like the idea that's described in it is is cute, It's, it's like a nice, it's a nice little vision, where he's like, this is the first time in history where through the medium of like the photograph and film, the average person has access to like so much more art than they would have had before. Like they don't have to go to a museum or travel somewhere. They can like pay for uh, access to a film where they can take a photograph themselves. 
Um, and he was like, this is going to really revolutionize art. It's going to have a lot of revolutionary potential. Um, it was a cute idea. And it makes sense that someone might think that, you know, yeah. like the readability of, of like <laughs> access to this technology, like mass access to technology would have revolutionary outcomes. And I think it had I mean, revolutionary potential. Yeah. I mean, that's a common theme with any new technology. I feel like Walter Benjamin, Ziga Vertov, and like the guys in like the early 2000s when the internet was like finally getting around, when they were like, this is gonna like mass revolutionize the world. Like all these like fucking computer nerds from like the 70s who were like, this is gonna like change everything, man. All those guys mm -hmm. would have been like absolute besties if they like got together. Because I think they all had that idea of like a new like uh, invention, especially a new invention that is created, uh, ma is mass produced and um, widely available is going to democratize some f medium of some sort. But unfortunately, um, the industrial age gets in the way of that often. Yeah, well, um, I think rather. just like capitalism gets in the way of that. Yeah. And I think that the idea is correct that like it was easier for a person to see a film than it would be for them to like go to a museum and see fine art um, or even if they could they there was a, a limit to what art they could see and so it makes sense that um when that technology was new and suddenly like the speed of art production was so much faster that there was this like, oh, cool, like, we're going to be able to to do something really incredible with it. But when Mr. Benjamin um, sent his essay to his friend Adorno, who was a hater, um, he, he <laughs> did not know how to have fun. He did say that it was insufficiently dialectical, <laughs> which is such a funny, like, all these little academic guys they're they're so funny with the the way that they insult each other benjamin didn't talk to him for like a year after that um but i think adorno might have been right about it unfortunately because like while there is revolutionary potential within the world of film um it's been a while since that essay came out and we're still we're still in it we're still in the bad times so I don't know. I guess the point that I was making with this is that like mass access to technology and like faster reproduction cycles like doesn't liberate you from this like shitty hierarchical thing. If it's you want to read the since we'll we read here, since we, we read, read here, if you want to read uh, something about like that in like the framework of the internet dear listener dear pay pig it's got a terrible name um by today's standards it's very dated but i really recommend reading silicon snake oil by clifford stoll he wrote it in 1995 when like the peak of the like dot-com boom was at its like precipice um and when everyone was saying like this like the internet is going to democratize society and it's going to like bring on a new era of like fucking digital socialism or whatever. He, he basically wrote um, an essay about the ambivalence of it. I think it's pretty divisive, but it's something that I think is pretty uh, key to read when you're thinking about like how people viewed early, the early stages of the internet and like where it kind of went um, because it's easy to think that everyone just kind of had this foolish idea in their eyes that like, 
the mass production of um, internet access and Wi-Fi was going to revolutionize the world, but there were people out there that genuinely still knew like the the history behind how mass production and capitalism doesn't um, lend itself well to um, revolutionary thought or idea. Um, it's interesting to see his predictions anyway. Yeah. So like, like mass access to like, mm, I don't know, like fashion technology, like things being easier and faster to make, which gives people quicker access to things that the, the ruling class is wearing doesn't like democratize fashion. It means that the ruling class has to move a little bit faster with um, what they are up to. And it also means that like capitalists who are in charge of making money off of like fashion and trends have a financial interest in making these trends move faster so that they can continue to have something that is like unattainable that the masses want and then like an attainable version of it that they can get. So unfortunately, like mass access to stuff like makeup, which helps you emulate beauty trends and hyperspeed fashion technology has not democratized beauty, but instead like these trend cycles that used to last 30 years, 40 years, 60, moved to like a decade in the past century and now is even faster. I personally feel like the last cogent era of fashion and beauty trends was the 90s and Mm. like something that I think is a um, side effect of like the the quickness of uh, fashion's like reproduction process is that like aesthetic expression of subcultures is possible Um, and so there were like a few different trends happening within it like if you think about like the way that people dressed in the movie Clueless versus um, like grunge fashion but they were all like decade-long trends that happened within within that decade and like yeah I just like mechanical reproduction within fashion um, allows for aesthetic expression of subcultures and I think that that was a hallmark of fashion happening throughout the 1900s in a way that couldn't have happened in like the 1700s really Mm-hmm. who didn't have, like, aesthetic subcultures in the same way. Um, but then in the 2000s with the, like, popularity of the internet, you get much faster access to what celebrities and trendsetters are wearing. Like, you don't have to wait for, um, like, a magazine to come out month to month or week to week to know what someone was wearing and then, like, head to the mall and find something to emulate it, like, it still took a little while because there was a good chance like that the mall wasn't going to have um, like an exact emulation of anything for at least a month or two. But with some creativity, it wasn't impossible to put your own spin on a trend in like a much faster way than it would have been in the 90s or 80s. And I think that that's like a really big part of why the 2005 to like 2008 era is so different aesthetically that yeah 2005 2010 yeah I mean Um, if I remember correctly around that time I just remember a lot of like the big discourse in fashion was around like the knockoff purse and like whether or not like a knockoff of a purse was like 
ethical to own, um, but more in the, not in the sense of like the production of a knockoff purse, but more that, is it okay to steal an image from Gucci? <laughs> Which is, is it? Is it okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's always okay to steal. It's always okay to steal. It's a moral net good, actually. Yeah. And like part of the reason for the, the like, pretty sharp switch I think is also the recession which we'll get to in a bit but it's it is certainly in part because in order to sell the masses like a vision of something unattainable designers had to come up with like completely new new ideas rather than like the slow Pokemon style evolution of trends that we had come to expect from the 20th century like rather than Pokemon evolution which I feel like is what, like, if you think about 60s fashion, where, like, the way that it began as, like, a slow progression out of the 50s, and then, like, if you look at it, um, it, like, fits into an overall timeline where you're like, oh, yeah, what happened in the 70s makes sense right after that. This is more, like, Digimon-style evolution, (laughs) where it starts out, like, a cute little baby version of an animal, the way that, I don't know, like Pikachu is like a little mouse and then Raichu is a, is a bigger mouse or something. In Digimon, it's like, this is like a cute animal looking thing. And then the next thing it evolves into is like seven guns. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where did, where did that come from? It doesn't really look seven anything guns. like the last thing that it was. And that's seven like, guns I and think they're all Catholics. Like. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that that's like how fashion trends look now where it's like this thing is almost barely related to the trend that came before it. Um, Like the timeline doesn't feel as natural or as obvious anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just feel like like fashion is like an easier way of understanding how this works. But all of this applies to physical beauty standards as well. like what is popular, what is trendy has a lot to do with like what the ruling class has access to and what would be hard for the working class to achieve. So people like to be like, oh, back in the fucking 1700s, like being fat was beautiful. Or and even like Marilyn Monroe was fat. Which is <laughs> hilarious. No, she was not. That, that woman was tiny. She was, she she was, was a tiny lady. She just had big, she had big soy naturals. But she had big she soy was, naturals. She was she a was tiny, tiny, tiny lady. She was a size six at most. Like, yeah. don't even. <laughs> yeah. But like softer bodies were in fashion when they symbolized a life without physical labor. Whether or not that is true, because like you can be fat and be like physically active, but the the image that it conjures is like one of someone who like isn't doing a lot of hard labor. Mm-hmm. Similarly, pale skin would be in style at a time when that represents time spent inside, meaning like you don't have to work. But now, like sometimes tan skin can represent on like a white person enough money and leisure time to go on vacation to like a warm destination when like a lot of makeup on your face was in style that represented time like to get your makeup done and also access to expensive materials like ornate hairstyles would be the same way but once these things become accessible they're out um and the past five years um because i think that's how long trend cycles last now really is like 
a time that I feel like has been characterized by BBL bodies. <laughs> I, I can't think of how else to describe it. It's like um, hourglass proportions, but in a way that is exaggerated, mm-hmm. that can probably only be achieved by surgery for most people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the height, the heightened level of like, um, the, like that, the fact that BBL has become like a very common word in like our normal societal lexicon, at least if you're like kind of logged on a little bit, um, to at least celebrity culture, if not internet culture at large, um, you're, you're like pretty aware that like the BBL is like gotten cheaper it's something that um a lot of people um are getting really into um partially due to like the celebrity image um of a bbl it's similar to how i think um in like the early 2000s there was a lot of like talk about like you know who got who got like a nose job right like the nose job i feel like the thing thing. was then was like lipo also mm, was really right, big lipo. and yeah. um, like nose jobs for certain and people got boob jobs at the time but yeah. you know that picture that was like going viral on Twitter over the summer all those people leaving the airport in wheelchairs because they had just yeah. gotten BBLs from like some Latin American country I think mm-hmm. that was when I knew that the moment was over yeah or that it's it's going to be over very soon like within this year yeah. because that to me points to like a level of accessibility that shows that it's a, like it's about to be in decline and like yeah. i feel like people point to the um kardashians and their jenner lessers um as a reason for this body type being in style but i really think that they're like a symptom and not the disease yeah um quality makeup is pretty easy to come by these days like even mm-hmm. on a budget yeah, so you can really recreate like any fashionable look with makeup that you can just find at a drugstore for like yeah, I, I mean, don't know, like twenty bucks. The disparity between when we were like growing up getting drugstore makeup and now it's just like the shelf used to be like really small, and now it's just it's its own like whole aisle. Like if you wore Fit Me foundation you are entitled to financial compensation, I think. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you were wearing drugstore foundation at all in like the 2010s, early 2000s. You should be a part of a class action lawsuit that I will, I'll join you in on. If um, you ever But drugstore wore- makeup and like makeup generally, I mean, makeup is still expensive if you go to like mm-hmm. a Sephora or whatever, but you can recreate really any fashionable look with makeup that is pretty inexpensive. If you wore a bumpet or considered Stop. wearing a bumpet. That's New Jersey <laughs> culture. That's New Jersey culture. I was doing um the bump all throughout middle school way before you had even heard of Snooky or Jay Wow, way before the Jersey show was on. Um that's my heritage as a person of New Jersey experience. But I don't know, like the the accessibility of makeup is so interesting because I feel like makeup has become pretty passe in beauty trends. Like Mm -hmm. the last time that we saw a real makeup beauty trend that everyone was adhering to was like 2014, 
drag queen style makeup, kind of like what the Kardashians are still doing um, with like the hyper contour shit. Um, and then, and then right after the strobe that, lighting, the yeah, the highlighter everywhere, all over yeah. your face moment. And there, there are makeup trends happening right now. I think mm-hmm. the ones that I'm aware of are like the soap brows and like very glossy lips and glossy eyes. E-girl but if blush. You're, yeah, but you're not out of fashion if you don't participate in them in the same no. way that like in 2014, if you didn't have. Uh, mastery of some contouring skills, you would look pretty different from the other the other girls in the grocery or, store. At the very least, could you do a winged eyeliner and a red lip? Right. Like, that was- yeah. The fact that we can point to that moment and be like, "Oh, that's what people were doing then," I I don't think that that's um, happening now, and it is because makeup is just like first way too accessible in terms of affordability and also makeup skills are too accessible because of like YouTube tutorial shit. So it's not something where you need access to like a makeup artist or something in order to to recreate a look. Anyone can do it now with some time um, and like a willingness to throw a little bit of your budget at it. And so like to that point, I feel that the focus um, for skin in like beauty trends has moved to having like well, like healthy, clear, youthful looking skin, yeah, which healthy, makes sense when we remember. Yeah, healthy, I was trying to like yeah. use air quotes over. Yeah. Healthy meaning like free of blemishes and like no wrinkles and not anything that looks like you've experienced any hardship in your life, which makes sense when like we remember that the goal is unattainability because quality skincare products still tend to be more expensive. They don't always have a drugstore equivalent. And honestly, like rich person skin requires regular visits to an esthetician um, and not just buying product. So there is like an inherent class barrier to having the kind of skin that is like the beauty trend that people might want to emulate. That's not to say like you can't get close at it. You can't gesture at it. But I spend a lot of my budget on skincare. It is Mm -hmm. very expensive and is not something that every person can do. And stress, which comes from working and being a person in the world, um, shows itself on your skin in lots of ways. Also having like a poor diet, not meaning like eating a lot or whatever, like people use the word diet to mean, but just like eating food that is not like full of whatever antioxidants, yeah. whatever, whatever. That, like it shows up in your expensive. skin. If you're, if you're eating processed food all the time, that's going to show up in your skin. If you're not like drinking water all the time and peeing a million times a day, that's going to show up in your skin. Like having um, skin that fits the beauty ideal at the moment is not easily attained by the working class. And that is why it is the beauty ideal. Mm-hmm. Um So all that to say, like, it makes perfect sense that BBL bodies would come in and now out of style. Um, I'm not saying that having, like, I don't know, like, a relatively thin body is easily attainable to everyone, but it's a little bit too attainable for that to simply be the beauty standard. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas it was in, like, the 80s when, like, fitness science was still kind of brand new. Back then, everyone was, like, in Donald Trump mode. And they thought that the body was like a battery 
Um, (laughs) I have, I actually, if you don't know uh, some, some big soy naturals lore for you, dear prayer warrior, pay pig, whoever you are. um, I have a VHS tape collection. This is one of my deranged little mystery woman hobbies. I like to have mystery woman skills. Um, That's a term I point. I actually, that's a term I got from, from a, from a TikToker, which is like, you have to have like a mystery woman skill, which is like a, like something that you just bring out to mention in like conversation that no one would expect of you. And that is my VHS tape collection. And one of my VHS tapes is called the body flex. And it's this woman, she's like older. She got sued, I think, by the Federal Trade Commission because her tapes were falsely advertised. But she basically hypothesized in the 80s on this idea that oxygen burns fat. So therefore, if I, if you squat and breathe like a fucking insane person, I'll even just put a clip of her breathing in here because the breathing itself, you don't even need the visual, is insane. This is natural gas. One of the things it burns most effectively is fat. She's like breathing and then she does these like weird like what can only be described as like an ahagao face. Like I don't know how else to describe it. The the faces that she's making and what she says is that those faces eliminate wrinkles and the way she's breathing of <laughs> is somehow eliminating fat from her body um, as she does very geriatric like squatting and like very slow movements um so yeah. it was like a way People for her to say like i'm elderly and i'm nothing. a size two <laughs> they knew nothing they knew back nothing in the day. and i feel like that is what allowed just like a like a thin body to be um the beauty standard at a time because it was like who the fuck knew even how to achieve this um again i'm not saying that it is like easily attainable or attainable for everyone but I feel like these steps that one person might need to take in order to fit that, whether they do that in a healthy way or not, is a little bit easier than the steps that you would need to take in order to achieve like a Kylie Jenner style bod. And like the last time that hourglass figures were in fashion, which is like 1950s, um, 1940s-ish, it was pretty normal for women to wear shapewear under their clothes. So, like, as long as you had the money for shapewear, then you could go buy shapewear that would help create the illusion of an hourglass figure. The infamous Spanx. Those yeah. Well, lovely, but lovely Spanx, Spanx is just kind of, like, shrinking you. But people used to do, like, padding. Yeah. It was, a whole, it was a whole thing. People used to really use underwear in a very different way than they do now to, like, create a whole new bod. Um, but, like, similarly... Like, from the shift from makeup to skincare, like, shaper is too accessible. Spanx is, like, 40 bucks. So mm-hmm. fashion has shifted to a place where it's kind of untenable to wear shaper under it because, like, there's too many crop tops and, like, cutouts and, like, it just doesn't work. You would not be able to emulate a BBL bod with shapewear and also fit into what fashion is, like, trendy right now. So you need to actually go get a BBL <laughs> to 
<laughs> you, if you want to have like that hourglass figure exaggerated, um, which for a time made it inaccessible. Mm-hmm. But now you can buy a BBL on layaway. I was looking into it and like <laughs> they let you split up those payments. Like there's all kinds of credit cards that you can get yourself like just for oh. cosmetic surgery. You can also fly to Mexico and get one for cheap, which I do not recommend. Medical tourism, baby. That, med- yeah. that fine medical tourism. Cosmetic okay. surgery is like, it's expensive, but it's not outside the realm of what a middle class person can afford. I think when I was looking um, like to see how much a BBL would cost in different places, it's anywhere from like 8 to like 12K. That's expensive, but it's not like something someone can't put on a credit card and make a bad decision with. Um, It's how much people buy like a car for. It's a little bit um, unattainable, but it's not so much to the point where like, I don't know, a middle class person can't afford it or even what a working class person can't afford. Like if you've got some whack budget priorities, then you can make a BBL happen, no problem. So it makes sense that we were due for a shift. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. Um, the other thing that informs beauty standards, which you we were talking about a little bit with the mullet skirt, mm-hmm. is the political atmosphere. Like if we go back to the Regency era, Cotton was a really popular fabric in England, which had to do with, like, number one, they were at war with French, so, like, silk and lace, which the French produced, like, that was out. And number two, like, all of these little British business people, they had uh, business ties to southern U.S. plantations and slavery. And so, like, the column-style dresses that they were wearing in cotton Um, was like bolstering those business interests and it was also inspired by ancient Greek columns because they were at war and when people when white people are having a bad time they're always like oh we've got to return to tradition we got (laughs) to throw it back to the ancient Greeks it's always it's time for trad wifery baby let's go no literally every time white people in western history have had a bad time they're like what were the Greeks about? And that's why, like, all of the United States buildings look like that. They look like Regency-era dresses. Um, that's why the Regency people were dressing that way. It's, I mean, I, I guess I don't have an issue. With so the tired Greeks. of bad empire. Can't wait to get home and return to good empire. Like, right. <laughs> I, it's not their fault. And it's really funny because, like, if you were to go up to... I don't know, Diogenes, Mr. Ancient Greek himself, and you were like, hey, um, I love to return to tradition and be white like you. You would be like, what the fuck? What is a white person? <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm Diogenes. Um, <laughs> like, they didn't see, I mean, the, the term white comes from, like, the existence of chattel slavery and, like, the need to, I don't know, like, create a title that solidified the class of slavers that separated them from the enslaved you can you can learn about more of this if you um listen to ending the myth anyway (laughs) the point is um i do not think that the, the ancient greeks 
would be happy with the the British who they were like trying to conquer at the time being like, hey, we're we're one of you. They they would not agree with that, regardless. Um clothes and body presentation are a way of representing overall values. That's why hemlines get shorter when um the economy is good. You let everyone know that your bank account is doing well by having your whole pussy out. Fashion and beauty in the immediate years post 9-11 were all about being ostentatious. That's why logos were everywhere, colors were bright, like conspicuous consumption was in, everyone was having designer bags. Like it was pretty reminiscent of fashion also in the 80s, which was another time of like economic prosperity and also like really intense patriotism and fear um, in the West. Like George Bush, post 9-11, he told everyone to go shopping because that would tell the terrorists that they didn't really win. Um, (laughs) I, like, remember that George Bush, W, he gave my parents, like, $2,000, which is more money than I got from Joe Biden in the year 2000. They got more money than I got. From from Diamond Joe, and I do not know how to do inflation math, but it's I think that W gave them more money than I got from Diamond Joe. Regardless, he told everyone to go shopping after 9-11 because there was like an economic downturn right after. And he was like, you can't let the terrorists win. You got to go to the mall. Get to the Mall of America. Show them that you love America and show them that you love it by going shopping. And Buy people that wet seal mascara right now. Literally. People really <laughs> took that message to heart. Like people they they shopped. Um but you can also see like distaste and alienation from that message and movement in two thousands fashion with like the scene emo movement. Mm-hmm. Like the scene fashion kind of mocked the bright colors and conspicuous consumption by like really taking it to its extreme whereas like emo fashion kind of eschewed it all together like just distancing themselves from color overall which is pretty reminiscent also of like the way that fashion subcultures arose in the 80s where you had like goths goths, yeah and then like i don't know what do you call like hair metal style people like the david bowie's like because that's all that's kind of like the proto scene movement but i, I don't know when, what that when you said called. when you said hair metal i was thinking of like the kind of bill and ted excellent adventure like wayne's world types like the grunge. that's 90s yeah, that's 90s yeah i'm not sure what you would call those because like, they're rock? all yeah, because it's like I think glam rock would be the term, and all like I think they have a lot of overlap with like the rockabilly kind of style. Yeah, because it's like it's like taking again like in the eighties, like there is this like ostentatious display, and then being like, okay, like I'll really really do it, mm-hmm. um, which is like kind of one way of mocking it, or like the goths being like, no, I'm not going to do it at all. Like mm-hmm. you want me to wear neon colors, I'm going to wear all black. Um, Anyone who anyway. still dresses like a like Shuxi and the Banshees kind of like trad goth style, like I want to be your friend. Email cool. me, yeah, no, like, good DM you. me. I think those people are the coolest. Like if you're teasing your hair and still wearing like a Victorian style goth dress, like my DMs are open. Be my yeah, friend. Literally hit us up. Hit I think that's. Up. I think I that's the coolest you. fucking thing. Like mm-hmm. please. 
I've always been pro goth because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just think that it's it's such a cool look. I'm yeah. thinking about going goth Ooh. now that all of my hair is one color and it's all black. Maybe it's time. We'll see. But like another thing that, like I said, the 80s and the 2000s have in common was like they had this economic prosperity. They had this overall sense of like patriotism, which was informed by fear in both periods and just like this poisonous nationalism that was rotting everyone's brains. And that's an inherently reactionary worldview. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're younger and you don't really know a lot about like the era of like really early post 9-11, I suggest maybe like watch a couple episodes of Why Swap and then get like back to us, like <laughs> get to like the yeah. point where you're watching where you like have seen the like the real life interactions between people who considered themselves like pacifists and people who consider themselves nationalists and like pay attention to the Look way that up. they like dress. Look up the term freedom fries. Look up the term freedom fries. Like just generally like nationalism really was like it was it was in the water. You Mm -hmm. had to have like a pretty strong like anti-war worldview to have not been sucked into that in the early 2000s. And like most Americans did not. On, but on um, any side, it was a very bipartisan issue to support the oh, Iraq yeah. war. Well, the, the Democrats were trying, or like the, the liberals and the Democrats were trying to prove themselves um, by As being like, knows. no, 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 like this time, like, we do love the war. People <laughs> always, they always think of us as hippies who um, are anti-war, but not this time. We love the war. And that's because like the liberal response to losing which they are constantly doing is to just be like okay like we'll get more racist um like bill clinton kind of just was written to but as a democrat and so it it makes sense that that was like the way that they approach i love the the way liberals act like being racist was just like a necessary like begrudging evil that they they were like okay i guess we'll do it but we feel really uncomfortable about it Yeah, we feel so bad about it. While like, doing it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, they were all spreading this, like, WMD, weapons of mass destruction that Iraq has lie. And, like, everyone in the media class was doing their best to prop it up. But I think more than, like, any real or imagined threats that Iraq or Afghanistan or, like, other um, Middle East countries had because at like I feel like people forget that at that time yeah we did end up going to war with Iraq and Afghanistan but we were considering going to war with everyone yeah um, Bush was he was trying to get us in uh, Iran Iran was like on the axis of evil draft initially when Bush was going to say um, Iraq Afghanistan and Iran and then one of his advisors was like hey you're only naming Middle Eastern countries so he subbed it out for North Korea. Um, we were like pretty well in support of Israel's invasion in Lebanon. Like we were just trying to take over the whole Middle East. Mm-hmm. And that is not because of like the potential of WMDs, but really because of this like neocon message that was derived from bullshit texts um, like Francis Fukuyama's End of History, 
and Samuel Huntington's Class of Civilization. Um, and like we can cite these if you want to read them. Mm-hmm. I guess they're like worth reading to know things. But Samuel Huntington went to Harvard and Yale. So he's like a top tier imbecile. He's stupid. Um, <laughs> Virgin. But they, like all of these things were kind of positing that the real war was not over stuff, even though it, it totally was. They wanted the oil. But, but actually it was over like Western versus Arab or Islamic culture, depending on how racist the speaker was being. Um, And then there was like this additional focus that like Miss Barbara Bush herself was making. um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, you know, trying to, to like cement this point that like Western culture is, is better and therefore it needs to invade uh islamic culture before it spreads to the west being like oh look at how oppressed the poor iraqi and like women are and the the poor women of afghanistan and look at how free and enlightened (laughs) the um western american women are which like i want to bring that back to the 80s because this is not like a new idea there were similar comparisons being made between the freedom that american women had in comparison, allegedly, to the freedom that, like, women in the Soviet Union or other, like, enemy countries, communist countries had. And I think that the reason that I'm trying to, like, keep bringing it back to, like, the 2080s is because I want us to remember how strict the body beauty standards were during these times and also what, like, the political atmosphere was like in both eras. Yeah, I mean, to say that there's such rigidity in like another country's like body and beauty standards and that somehow ours are much more freeing is like blindingly hypocritical and uh just like fucking just impotent of any fucking like critical thinking skills um yeah like it's it's really truly like very no, irritating. It's, like, it's, not, it's dog-brained. It's dog-brained. Yeah. But a lot of people were convinced by it. And like mm-hmm. in both eras, there was this extreme atmosphere of nationalism. There were also very, very rigid standards of beauties. In the 80s, you had your like kind of ultra-fit muscular body type kind of like – Mm, I don't know, you can exemplify it in your little workout videos that you might see from VHS tapes from the 80s. Like that was Mm -hmm. sort of the thing that people were striving after versus in the 2000s, like the very thin, thin body was in. um, Well, something that you pick up from the V, at least the VHS tapes that I have, I have a couple of them and a couple of them, like they make like, I don't know if I could like find a clip. It would really take a lot for me to like transfer it over onto digital, but there are a couple clips from some of these workout tapes where they make Cold War jokes. And it seems like there's like a slight under ticking of like, in in order to beat the communist, we must stay in shape. Like there's like this weird undertone, yeah, of, like totally. we stay in shape and we stay beautiful to stay beautiful, obviously, but also by staying beautiful and by staying fit, we are exhibiting our freedom to do those things um, and our strength as a country. Like we are, we are so much stronger because we have so much body science that we know about. We know so much about the body, oxygen, burns fat, breathe like a fucking weirdo. 
<laughs> on camera. Yeah. Was, I mean, th- think about the focus that was put on like the hijab and like the niqab and like other forms of the veil in like Middle East countries. I mean, like, look at how oppressed the poor women are. Um, and then in contrast, you would get to see, I don't know, like a picture of fucking like Britney Spears in a like crop top. Mm-hmm. And this is not like Britney Spears was should not be wearing a crop top. It's just that there's this idea that like through an aesthetic um, like achievement of a certain ideal, like you can prove that one one place is like more good than the other. I think um, towards the early 2000s, like even when they were like promoting these bodies, they were at the same time trying to condemn these women for having these bodies. Like if I remember yeah. like... Like, if you went into, like, any grocery store, right, and you, like, looked at, like, the fucking magazines in the checkout aisle, there were tons of photos of, like, especially Nicole Richie um, was, like, the big one, but, like, a lot of women just being, like, isn't it scary how thin she is? Isn't it scary? Like, God, what are we doing? But also... Like, doesn't she look kind of good? Like, she's showing off her Yeah, it would be like <laughs> along with, like, an outfit photo or something. Like, I feel like once Nicole Richie lost weight, which, I don't know, what was that, like, 2007 or mm-hmm. something? Around that time, maybe, yeah. Like, it was Nicole Richie all over the place. Before that, it was the Olsen twins, who also both had, like, eating disorders. Paris Hilton all over. Like, it was a lot of very, like, thin white... Um, women who dominated like the standard of beauty at that time but also they were still being condemned for those same bodies that they were promoting it was just like this like fucking cycle of just like you can't fucking win like you can't have the, the body and get the praise that you want or need and you also can't not have the body and be treated like a human fucking being like it was just one of those things right. like you are just you are still an object in the eyes of um this society like it doesn't really matter um what you do what you are is you are a tool um for them to use as they please and that it doesn't matter if that's a tool to promote um pro-war ideals it doesn't matter if that's a tool to promote certain beauty standards uh your body as it exists um, as an individual living in, you know, Joker voice, like society, like you are, you you are just seen as a commodity. Um, mm-hmm. And like, that's the issue. I mean, like, I think we'll get into it later, but like, even now movements, quote unquote, <laughs> that are, to- that are trying to strive towards an ideal outside of this still focus on, a philosophy that like relies too much on commodification in order to um, escape it. And that's just like not going to work. Um, yeah. We'll get into it. Well, I, I mean, I feel like like the connection, like you were kind of already making this point, the yeah. connection between nationalism and like the rigidity of a beauty standard should hopefully be obvious. Like it, there, there's no substantial reason why Westerners are better than people in the Middle East, um, unless you are racist, which is kind of the point. And there's also obviously like a lived disconnect between all the neocon like blathering about freedom at the same time that they're passing the fucking Patriot Act. Mm -hmm. So of course, like the actual reason for this has to be white supremacy, like the belief that white people are naturally better than the brown people that we're killing. 
And so we need to have a reason for that. And rigid beauty standards are a way for people in that culture to conform to that visually proves that they are better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, you know, we've been talking a lot about women. Yeah. Um, but I do want to take a second and be like, all of this can and does and did affect men too, but like white supremacy it does currently. Is a, I mean, let's yeah, look at it, like, like incels and their obsession with body modification. Let's absolutely. look at, let's really talk about um, how like fitness bros and like fitness culture. I go on like some of these workout forums for men um, out of curiosity, also because sometimes they're really funny. There was one where like this guy didn't know that they thought that there were eight days in a week and like literally every time people were arguing with him, like there are seven days in a week, he just would not listen. You can find a lot of types of guys on a fitness forum, but the main type of guy you can find is men who unknowingly have eating disorders. They Mm -hmm. all have eating disorders. They They are at least have a very unhealthy relationship with their body and with food at the least. If that is like not the textbook definition of an eating disorder, I don't know what is. Um, yeah, and they like, have a similar fear sad. of getting getting fat the same way yeah. that like women do. I think overall, I mean, you were talking about earlier more... the obsession with with Greco Roman ideals, like the way yeah. that a lot of these oh, like totally. men on the right have this obsession with like looking at statues of David and fucking like like mm-hmm. Renaissance art and like Greco Roman statues. And like being like, this is like the ideal masculine man when they were all like absolutely fucking each other. Um, like these like beautiful male toned muscular bodies, their obsession with looking at those has to do with their sense of self, you know? Yeah. Like not but to arm your like nose, very but... fixated on like jaw lines mm-hmm. and like bone structure. Skull like, shapes. This, this sort of thing does affect men too. Um, I think that it's just that like white supremacy is an inherently patriarchal ideology. So these beliefs are going to be proven through a control over women's bodies primarily, but it's still asking men to conform. Um, Like men are not exempt from this. I think it's just that these standards are much uh, more heightened for Mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Um, But to like prove our point, like Kendall was just saying between the like, connection between reactionary politics and beauty standards like there's there's really no better example than the nazis they were also super super fucking except, uh, obsessed with greek like bodies and greek statues and stuff they were obsessed with aesthetics and their own definition of beautiful and both of those things are really central to fascism like yeah once again white people have no original ideas i mean you can even look in that there's a lot of (laughs) connections people have made before with we were talking way earlier in the episode if you've been listening this long uh about like the cottagecore resurgence um a lot of Mm -hmm. people lately have been talking about how cottagecore as like an aesthetic commodity is originates from like trad wifery which is a you know nazi ideal like the idea of a traditional lifestyle um is something that like cannot be divorced from like the ideals that like Nazis have. If you go into like a lot of these cottage core women's like uh, comment sections, they are not, I'm not saying these women are Nazis, but I am saying that they have a lot of people in their comments that are 
very clearly Nazis that look at these women and go, finally, a white woman who is like portraying the ideal version of womanhood that I want when they don't seem to realize that a lot of these women are like lesbians. Um, (laughs) But it's Mm -hmm. like, it's very clear that like a lot of these aesthetic commodities like form from a place of white supremacy. Um, Even the ones that like don't um, necessarily like seem like it at first. Um, They come from a place of like um, deep, deep set beliefs. Um, Like those ideal aesthetics of escapism Um, Yeah. I mean, the Nazis were totally trying to like return to tradition in the exact Mm -hmm. same way. And they drew inspiration from like the the Greek, like classical interpretation of the human form. And that has the benefit that like it's the same thing that the trad um, losers are trying to do now where they're asserting their greatness by like situating themselves in history right beside an era that's like generally acknowledged as full of like greatness and genius but they don't try to emulate the ancient greeks by i don't know like fucking each other or allowing for men to pluck the feathers off of chickens and throw them at other men like it's it's not like in the substance (laughs) of the thing that they're recreating it it is just in the aesthetic mm-hmm. and that I mean, the thing about that is that it like it saps any meaning yeah. from what those aesthetics were maybe meant to convey at the time and it reduces the meaning of like classical beauty to the look in itself which makes being beautiful uh, equating it to like the goodness that it's trying to emulate making beautiful a good on its own and equating mm-hmm. beauty by itself with genius greatness goodness without like needing anything else to show for it mm-hmm. I mean, like, like you can see this, you can, like, it's just, it all ties back to, like, these white supremacist ideals. Like, I was talking before about, like, fucking incels and, like, their whole obsession with, like, skull shapes and, like, brow ridges. And, like, that is all a philosophy that, like, very clearly ties to phrenology, which, if you don't know, was an extremely racist practice in which... Um, scientists and doctors um believed that your um skull shape not only like was not only determined determined by like your uh your race and your racial identity but also um it determined your intelligence and those three things were like tied together um yeah that you equation that? between beauty and, and goodness yeah. on its own. I mean, like, you see if that you fit this beauty fucking... ideal, then you are then smart. I mean, you see you that. You don't on... need to prove anything else. You see that on fucking TikTok all the time. You know, like these people are unwillingly particip- unwittingly rather, participating in these like trends having to do with like filters and, fa- and like facial tracking software, um, basically determining whether or not you're beautiful. Every other week, there's a new trend on there with some new fucking filter that TikTok has come out with where they're like, if your face fits this filter, whatever the fuck that means, I don't know what that means, fits a filter. That means that you are classically beautiful. Or let's turn to the side and turn to this side and let's guess your ethnicity. Or do you have a hero side profile or a villain side profile? Like these these commodities that they have somehow divorced from all of their like aesthetic like historical and political meaning and just like unwittingly participating in trends that are derived from like 
horrible nationalist ideas, ideals. Like it's crazy to me every fucking day. And that's like the big part of, I think, pro-Anna yeah Yeah. and so like in the in the like Nazi like era like the Nazi regime they created a women's unit called the Faith and Beauty Society um which like I'm gonna just quote like an actual Nazi their her name was Judda Rudiger I'm so sorry German people but your names (laughs) are fucked up are we sorry (laughs) That's a name, isn't it? I'm not sorry to this German person, but just like German people, like your language you is need fucked, to figure something. Yeah, you got to figure something out. Um, but anyway, this is what she said was like the goal of the Faith and Beauty Society, which was like their unit for women. Um, and it's the task of our girls league is to raise our girls as the torchbearers of the national socialist world. We need girls who are at harmony between their bodies, souls, and spirits. And listen to this part. We need girls who through healthy bodies and balanced minds embody the beauty of divine creation. We want to raise girls who believe in Germany and our leader and who will pass these beliefs onto their future children. So again, like you can see right in here, this like through line between being beautiful and being like in harmony with all of all of the good things. And this is a feature of fascism. It's not something that's unique to the Nazis. Like they had their Aryan ideal Mussolini's Italy had their own Italian ideal and obviously like the United States has produced a few different ideals of its own mm-hmm. and conforming to this beauty standard in each of these instances again was like evidence of on its own of goodness and superiority and also like Kendall was saying a projection of state power like it creates an enemy of the outsider because someone who doesn't or can't conform to this ideal becomes bad or ungreat or stupid um, by virtue of their lack of beauty. Like if their skull doesn't fit the right shape or they look like a villain or whatever, like then they are inherently a bad person by not conforming to that standard. And so like hopefully the connection to today is, is evident. Like when yeah. the West or the United States wants to prove its might, it's going to do so in part by pushing really intense and limiting beauty standards on its inhabitants which creates like a clear in group and a clear out group um which just has who can conform and who does not Mm -hmm. i don't want smoke i just want to smoke i don't want smoke i just want to smoke now perhaps perhaps at this very moment dear listener you're saying, but, 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 but Diamond Joe is president. The fascism <laughs> has been defeated. <laughs> Orange man out of office. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. It's over. Although- <laughs> Hot Not Joe summer. <laughs> Not my precious Joe Biden. I thought that we said that in this house, we believe the Black Lives Matter and science. <laughs> Science is real, and women are people. And science, science love is real. Is love. Science is real until it tells me that I have to change my lifestyle, and then yeah, then it's not um, real. <laughs> unfortunately, Diamond Joe becoming the president has not. It has not defeated the fascism. Like first of all, 
the United States is already a violently fascist country. I think it's just the degrees of that violence that change, which is why even in times of like less heightened nationalism, like these rigid beauty standards are still a prevalent thing. They're just not as strict. I hope you, if you're listening to our podcast, you are already aware of that. Like, I hope you haven't been vibing for like 12 episodes being like, yeah, I love what I'm hearing. And I also love like neoliberalism. Like, I, I, I hope you have imagine been. that you have just like a throng of listeners who go on Twitter after listening to our episodes and type like vote blue no matter who. Rock the vote. Uh, rock the vote. Yeah. I love saying rock the vote. I think it's the funniest phrase in the English language. Rock the vote is pretty funny. Uh, that one makes me laugh versus like buckle up, which is mm-hmm. a terrible it phrase. Fear. It fills here. It, it, makes, it triggers about, my fight or flight. What about like buckle up, fuckos? Here's mm. why you should rock the vote in 2020 <laughs> by defeating the orange guy that we all hate who reminds Cheeto. us of the guy from Harry Potter that we don't like. And we vote in uh cool diamond joe <laughs> with his glasses and his vanilla and his, ice cream and his ice cream yeah <laughs> don't forget his um, ice cream it's but honestly i don't know like if we're talking about big fascism like nazi style whatever i feel like we're way closer to that mm-hmm. right now um, it's much more of a looming threat right now than it was in like 2016, which might have been like what was setting us up for it. But like this this moment, I feel is much worse than the moment of 2016, 2017. And that's like, I mean, we're in the, the middle of a mass death event that no one is being held accountable for. Mm-hmm. And because we all have to go to work every day is giving literally no one space to grieve. Um, also, if you are like a, one foot in the pond, leftist, quote unquote, derogatory, you have probably experienced some pretty huge losses. Like, Bernie's out for the count. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's around. This is not me being anti Bernard the man. He's whatever. But, like, all of you guys. You can't go outside with, with your tote bag without people pointing yeah. and jeering and saying, loser. That, that was the moment that, like, if we just, like, got him elected, that that was going to be it. And we're super, super demoralized when he lost. Like, I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, that moment's over. Black Lives Matter, the movement, is actually less popular now. Like, it has less popular support than it did before 2020. And there's not, like really at this moment, a unifying political movement. Um, If you are a hot, sexy communist, the way that Kendall and I are, that you can tap into, like we still have Mm -hmm. to build it. And I, you know, do people Mm want to do that? Um, Send me a DM. But there's, you know, and there's like, there's no real sense of like international anti-imperialist solidarity either. The labor movement is weak. Like there's just a lot of things that are like working together in this current moment to make you feel hopeless, apathetic, dejected, whatever. And like Kendall was saying earlier, like for those of us that believe that hope is like a discipline and we aren't doing things like just to win, um, like 
are okay with losing when it happens because there's like a greater win that you're working towards at the end it's it's still pretty demoralizing like there's a reason why you have to practice mm-hmm. at having hope even if you feel this way because things are things are really fucking bad um and so like for other people who aren't as smart as us aren't as cool it makes sense that all of this has like turned people to apathy but at the end of the day that's like a coward's position and the it's like the fear of failing again and making deciding not to try an ideology rather than trying to form a strategy that like actually advances your hopes and so it makes sense that this like pro-ana movement has come back that's based around trying to achieve this like hyper thin ideal and it's really like back with a vengeance and I looked mm-hmm. at Thinspo, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and TikTok so that you didn't have to. Don't do it. But, like, a common theme is that all of these girls are white. Um, all of the, the girls that they are, like, trying to strive to look at. Um, and that's not coincidental. And it's not coincidental that this aligns mm-hmm. with, like, the quasi-ironic traditionalist movement that's on the rise and again, like achieving this thin ideal is a really like cogent way to externalize your belief in these values and showing beauty to be a good on its own. But you just shouldn't do it. It's so bad. And now mm-hmm. that we know about it, yeah, how do we how do we fight back against it? And I think I think like the first thing is that regardless of how smart you are or how much you know or how much you maybe don't even like the propaganda that you're seeing, propaganda works whether you know it's propaganda or not. Um, I was like looking at different, yeah. There's a reason that the, there's a reason that the you are not immune to propaganda Garfield uh, meme hits so close to home and it's because you are yeah, truly not immune to propaganda. You can be aware of how it works and still consuming it is going to Put yourself in a position for it to work on you. I compare this to like mm-hmm. going to a cult meeting that you know is a cult meeting just to check it out as if the people who yeah. run cults do not have methods of bringing in skeptics. That is literally what they do. Yeah. So the smart thing to do part of their training. is to just avoid <laughs> like- it altogether and to not think that just because mm-hmm. you know things you are going to be exempt from falling victim to it. And I was looking into a couple different studies. I found one that was, that took people who did not have eating disorders, exposed them to like pro eating disorder websites um, for a week. And like 84% of the participants decreased their caloric intake um, by around like 3,000-ish calories per week without even like being aware of it. Only half of those participants perceived the reduction in their intake. So like people were cutting calories, participating in like the behavior that ProAna websites encourage you to participate in without even realizing that they were doing that. And even three weeks after the experiment, when they were not looking at ProAna stuff anymore... 24% of the participants were still continuing weight control strategies, even without visiting those websites. So 
all that to say, like, you should be really conscious of the content that you're consuming because even if you know that it is, like, designed to give you an eating disorder, knowing that is not going to stop you from forming one. And so you should be cautious about, like, who you follow on social media, what is being promoted to you on TikTok, and, like, just opting the fuck out. Don't, Don't look at it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we put content warnings at the beginning of certain episodes, and it's not just because uh, certain content will be triggering, but certain content is just something that you should not be participating in viewing. There's a reason we say that we look at it so you don't have to, and that's because we are have a thousand IQ and have a general, we are immune to propaganda. <laughs> yeah, actually. I'm immune to propaganda. <laughs> literally no one else is. I think that because I was, I was in the thick of like a restrictive eating disorder for so long, um, I, I do know what to expect when I go looking for it. And I also know what to do to like calm myself down after I look at it in a way that's not going to encourage me to like mm-hmm. – develop anorexia again but there's so many things where like the the propaganda of it is so insidious and you have to understand that this is also like a marketing strategy that will be coming from different like i don't know like fast fashion houses major fashion brands um any anything that's like trying Mm -hmm. to sell you an image and you have to make like the conscious decision not to be aware of it um, and to be critical, but instead to just like opt the fuck out. I think it's it's also important to understand about the pro-Anna community is that much like how I think a lot of people at this point, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already watched some like fucking video essays on like the inner workings of like the psychology of like an incel's mind. And you're probably aware that like, a sense of community or even the facade of a community is enough is like a powerful thing that draws people in. I mean, we were talking about cults earlier. Like that's the whole point. Like I'm not saying pro Anna is a cult. I'm saying uh, that know, there's is. a draw. It kind of is. is. White supremacy yeah, is a cult and it is like a very yeah. like white supremacist yeah, movement. You know? It's a lot of young women who feel like their lives lack meaning and are trying mm-hmm. to give themselves meaning by um, meeting this like very, very rigid standard of what they think is beautiful yeah and they think that once they hit that that, then they that they will like be a part of something that is greater than themselves and and a big part of that is the feeling that you are in this community of people who are encouraging you and cheering you on into this unhealthy behavior where you're all participating in it together you get a sense of community out of it where like you start knowing like the same people and you start talking to each other and encouraging the same toxic behaviors over and over again. Like a sense of community, which is something that is sorely lacking within most modern culture. Like we are very much designed to be isolated. Um, These illusions of community where it's still a very isolating and self-harming behavior that is still very much based on the individual, but it gives you a sense that you're all doing the same thing together. So that must be good somehow, right? You were so lonely before and now you have a community who quote unquote understands you because they're all participating in the same thing and understand you why 
you're doing it because they're doing it for the same exact warped reason. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the last thing that I'll say on this point is that I know that some people go looking for this kind of imagery and propaganda because they have a specific goal weight in mind and they think, oh, I'll just use this to fuck up my brain for a while um, so that I can more easily achieve this goal. And I will say that it never stops. Like once you are in it, once you are in that mindset, the only thing that gives you meaning and that makes you happy is continuing to get smaller and smaller. And there is never a point where you reach whatever your goal is, whatever your number is, and you feel like, oh, this is good enough because there's constant encouragement surrounding you to keep getting worse. So you mm-hmm. you just have to make a conscious decision to avoid it altogether. And I think that this is like a great way to then think of it, another like method that people have tried to use to fight back against this, which is, you know, mm-hmm. it's prevalent right now, like the pro-Anna propaganda, but like thinness has always been like a part of what people are told to be. And I think in response to that, there was the, the, the body positive movement, but that's also not the answer. Yeah, I mean, I think the big surge in pro-Anna right now, or at least the people who are both in the pro-Anna movement and drenched in this, like, slimy, irony, poisoned, like, um, like irony, traditionalist behavior, um, believe, like, they're, they're moving in response to the body positivity movement because they see the body, they at least, at, in, they see it for 50% of what it is, which yeah, they understand. I think that they that recognize some neoliberal. of the failings. They recognize some of yeah. the failings in it. And it is an inherently neoliberal movement because like yeah. it's it's a fucking insane ask to make of people to tell them like love your body when you are in the out group. Like it's fantastic yeah. if you are in the out group and you do have genuine love for what you look like, but that is a really really absurd ask to make of people to solve the issue like feeling good about yourself when the entire world is telling you that you shouldn't is I mean it's just like it's an unrealistic thing to expect it's great if you do but if you don't feel good about how you look and who you are the problem isn't your low self-esteem that you need to fix the problem is like this massive like fascist movement that is in our culture Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's like, if we look at modern body positivity culture for what it is, right? Because I think part of the reason I even got into like my mindset when it came to like my eating disorder was because I was getting like really jaded from like the body positivity movement, even in my recovery, when they were talking about like, looking at yourself and trying to see yourself as desirable. It's a fucking insanely like laborious tasks to take on of like trying to see like framing your body in the framework of like desirability while that might work for some people is just like incredibly hard when not only like you said are you in the out group but the idea of like desire is such a complicated and messy issue 
that trying to see myself as desirable and not put myself in the position and the perspective of like other human beings that exist within like the framework of the society that I'm supposed to live in was absolutely, it seemed impossible to me to do, right? And it still does in a lot of ways. Like I'm still trying to figure out like what it means to desire myself or to see like that that vague concept of self-love that a lot of like the body positive influencers talk about. Like I don't really know where to go from that point. Like how do I find self-love without buying product or without finding like clothes that fit me correctly? Like what is the, like I, I personally, you know, am considered like, within the modern term that was more recently invented mid-size right a term that i personally hate yeah that's a marketing um, <laughs> term i feel it like is. i feel like it's it's rude to ask people to describe themselves as mid-size or plus-sized or whatever because all of those are just like fucking i don't know like don draper ass like terms used to i mean it's probably a term people it's probably a useful term for like the assistant manager of forever 21, but it's yeah. not useful in terms of viewing yourself as an individual. Well, it also um, situates like you as a deviation from the norm. Cause like if you're plus yeah. sized, right. It's like plus, plus what? Like it's yeah, plus the size of a thin person. And like, even speaking of like plus size people, if we're like trying to view like, bodies through like whether or not they get representation within the culture that already wants you to be a specific way or achieve some kind of unattainability that unattainability is going to be put on those plus size bodies regardless of whether they are included or not it's just now the standard for what that unattainability is is going to be just slightly redefined and slightly more like just uh pivoted like for um some former plus size a, a former plus size model that i know um talks about a lot like that you know your body when you are a plus size model you are asked to lose weight or gain weight all the time depending on the kind of like you know product that you're selling they want you to they want to stuff you with pads so that your cellulite doesn't show so that you look smooth they're still retouching you they're still promoting a certain kind of desirable fat body rather than the kind that um exists in reality um, yeah. So it's just like it's it's a constant game of just your if you if you try to um, in terms of like modern body positivity and the way that it's seen by like mainstream culture, it is just about like looping yourself into the like commodification cycle rather than like rejecting it altogether, which is what we should be striving towards. Yeah. No, um, the body positivity movement really just encourages like a commodification of the self. Like it's capitalism's mm -hmm. big ass hand reaching to the back of the room and picking up all the lesser body types and then finding a way to market it back to you. I think it's helpful. Like, all right. How can we make these uglies hot? Like, yeah. it's just like <laughs> I think it's helpful to find a way to learn how to be okay with yourself um, when you don't fit within the norm. But I don't think that that has to be your goal. I think it's okay yeah. if you don't feel good about yourself because you are being told every day that you aren't good yeah. enough. And I think that um, once again, the solution is communism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the goal as you as it stands right now, where we are right now, it is okay 
Like, I'm telling you right now, it's okay to feel indifferent about your body. It's okay to feel like the goal should be if you're feeling really like just put down by what you are seeing and what you are being told about your body. It's okay. Like the goal should be that you feel indifferent at best. Like, yeah. at, like well, and minimum, I, I will say you know? for myself, as someone who was totally bought into a lot of the pro and the propaganda um, and who had a lot of negative feelings about myself and my own body because of my participation in that, I did not find um, the, the personal solution for that. I didn't learn to like myself through consuming a bunch of body positive content, but by removing myself from it altogether. And so yeah. I think that like the immediate solution has to be to like distance yourself from influencer culture to like distance yourself from the aesthetic cycle of commodities and to work towards um, achieving a better world for everyone through communism, which will happen uh, in the next episode. We maybe we'll give you we'll give you all the tips mm-hmm. and tricks for how to start the revolution. Um, and then that will kind of get rid of this whole pro Anna thing that'll be over with. We'll we'll chop yeah. off uh, Lily Rose Depp's head in the town square and just Easy. swing her, swing her head around by her ponytail. I don't know <laughs> if she's done anything bad or if they just use her image but she's Johnny Depp's kid, so I'm sure she's not great. I would be okay with sacrificing her to the to the cause. Are there any Nepo kids that would be not insufferable? Maybe one of the Culkins. Are they considered Nepos? Well, no, because like Macaulay Culkin, he did it, right? Like he was the yeah. first. And I don't know if you can really be nepotism if you're someone's like two-year younger brother. They were all yeah. like kind of working at the same time because they had these insane show business parents. That's true. Kieran Macaulay Culkin has a very interesting name, which is Macaulay Macaulay Culkin Culkin, because he put his name up for like auction by his fans, and he was like, "You can rename me," and that's. <laughs> he doesn't need the money. Like, yeah, he's very wealthy. <laughs> um, and that's the name that he came up with. I think it's really funny that like we spend a lot of time thinking about all of these different problems and like analyzing them. And then like at the end, we're like, so the solution is communism. But it really yeah. it really is because we're never going to escape <laughs> the beauty cycle bullshit until we um, abolish capitalism and establish something better. And that, dear listeners is the task that we give to you. Go do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a here's a little project you can do today. Don't use TikTok filters. Just like stop using them. Don't use the beauty filter. Don't use any of them. Just stop using them. Um, reject like you like facial tracking software, like using you as a lab rat to become better at um, basically identifying you for the police state um, through like giving you false eyelashes and embrace tradition and embrace Embrace tradition tradition. (laughs) look like shit yeah look like shit that's that's our yeah number one i guess look bad number two Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfollow any influencers that you're following don't look at them that's the the dialectic number three don't buy clothes (laughs) from shein no more fast fashion no more no more shein no more romwe no more aliexpress number four 
and this is the easiest step. Um, revolution today and establish communism. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. And that, my friends, dear prayer warriors, dear pay pigs, was Big Soy Naturals. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. We are Big Soy Naturals everywhere. You can email us at bigsoypodcast at gmail.com. My own to. Twitter is Commodify This, which is, I think, a really fun Twitter name for the mm-hmm. theme of today's episode. Yeah. Kendall yeah, super fun. is she, Herzog. Kendall, would you ever consider becoming she, they, Zog? Or like, I think it'd be he, it'd be he, fun. Zog. <laughs> it'd be fun, but like, I just I love the it's such a good play pun. I came up with. Yeah, and I just I like I like can't give it up. Well, almost. also like if you were to become like he him Zog, it would really not make any sense with the pun. I mean, what would the Zog, Zog mean? I mean, Herzog already has the word he in it, I guess. So that could work. Yeah. <laughs> Herzog, he, H E. Oh, he's on? <laughs> yeah, you could okay. do he's on. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's fine the way it is. I, of course I think I would keep it regardless. You have a Twitter account and pronouns. Yeah. I Yeah, of course I have a Twitter account and pronouns. I'm thinking of getting blue hair as well, just to complete really? the trifecta. I thought about it. I'm like, but it'll like turn green. And that, yeah, that'll I nice just though. had blue hair and it was such a nightmare that I dyed the rest of my hair black. Also, yeah. like, I really did realize like, fuck, I've got blue hair and pronouns. And there's, there's nothing. I mean, we all have pronouns, I suppose, but I don't want, We're I talk- don't want to be a punchline. You're talking about our own aesthetics. How curious we participate in society. Absolutely, but that's the dialectic, isn't it? We I do. I do be participating in society sometimes, <laughs> but that, um, that's the fucking dialectic, and that's okay. What else do we want to? What else do we want to plug? Oh, um, we can plug something funny, which is that, yeah. Like, um, one of my Tumblr mutuals from forever ago. I don't know if like they'll remember me because I kind of just got back into Tumblr. But my Tumblr is commodified, by the way. Anyway. Um, they have a podcast, and I went to go listen to it. This is a person who makes, like, text posts on Tumblr that are funny. So I thought that his podcast yeah. was going to be, like, jokey jokes. And it's called uh, Gorilla Radio Show. Gorilla spelled like the animal. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. And I thought, oh, it's going to be it's gonna be a comedy podcast. And the description is, uh, this is a podcast about primates. And I was like, that's a joke. No, it is it is a podcast um, about primates. It is highly informative. <laughs> I learned a lot. Um, there's there's some good stuff to learn about primates. Mm. It's it's a yeah. darker history, also the world of primatology, than you would think. It's rooted in um, pervert tree, the guy who kind of started primatology, as I learned thought that only women were capable of studying primates and that's why all of the big like primate 
experts like Jane Goodall and stuff, like that's why they were all women. Because he was like, if men do it, they're gonna fuck it up with their superior knowledge of science. The women, in the rainforest. He was like, women are, are like naturally empaths, so they'll understand the chimps better. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> go listen to Gorilla Radio Show, and uh, that's mechanical freak. Validate yeah. eating for free. You know the drill. Yeah, um, our friends. Um, our website is BigSoyUniverse at neo, uh, neocities.org, but it might not be very soon. We're hosting a poll right now on Twitter. Yeah, but it got fucking it. rigged. It got rigged. Yeah, we were asking if it should be .gay or .camp, and then the owners of the domain name .gay uh, retweeted yeah. us. And so, of course, now all of their little followers are voting for .gay. We'll see. Anyway, yeah. so you if know, you if you want it to be dot camp, send us an email at yeah. bigsoypodcast at gmail dot com. On social media, shut up. Us. Goodbye. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. Women when are I in fact, then it's time to smoke. They are dangerous people. Like, I cannot when I hit get it far enough down my throat to be satisfied. I'm only satisfied when I feel those intense, powerful, salty, hot pumps of cum down my throat. I just want to smoke. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.